What's up, fight fan? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts, even now, even in the apocalypse. It is Tuesday, April 21st, 2020. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez, and I am here with my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Hello, Double G. Yes, the quarantine continues, and I still haven't watched Tiger King, but... I have watched episode one of The Last Dance. Episode one or day one? Because they aired two episodes oh, on Sunday. Uh, two episode hours. One, episode one. So I still have to watch episode two. Yeah, they both aired on, on Sunday. I'm just at one episode in. Natalie, what else do you have going on? I know Joe <laughs> sleeps all day. All day. <laughs> You're in the house. What I are just, you watching that's bigger than Tiger King and The Last Dance? <laughs> I just stare at the wall all day. So... <laughs> If you nap, it's all good. Let me tell you something. Yesterday, I was like, usually I get out, like, come on, you know, do something. Yesterday was the first day where I just laid there and I was like, dude, I'm going to sleep. I got nothing else going on. (laughs) That's fair, man. (laughs) You know, and also, you know, it's the whole thing. It's like, I thought about it. It's like, well, would you feel better if you get up early? And I'm like, and do what exactly? (laughs) You know, it's like, I don't have anywhere to go. So I just stay up later in the middle of the night and you know, more so than usual. And I think that's a really normal thing now for everybody. Like I'm on so. Twitter and I see more people talking than usual at the late hour. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, who knows how people are going to behave and how their schedules are going to be when all this is over. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, we could talk about that all day. but All day. You know, guys, I know you guys tune in. Let's have some fun. Let's go ahead and talk about some mixed martial arts. I know that if you guys wanted to talk about life in quarantine, you know, there's about a couple hundred news outlets giving you minute-by-minute updates. We don't need that. That gets me depressed, if I'm being honest. So let's talk about some of our favorite things. First off, Natalie... Three days after Dana White cancels um, the UFC 249 on April 18th, he comes back and he says they're coming back on May 9th. And now as of today, he's, you know, we're seeing reports that this thing is going down in Florida. And the whole thing, you know, first of all, just top to bottom, they announced it, so he's rescheduled it. There have been a couple updates. Amanda Nunes has said that she's out. She just can't train, and she wants things to get a little better with coronavirus. Um, Tony Ferguson is still set to fight Justin Gaethje. As of Friday, Tony did say he hasn't gotten a he hasn't signed an agreement, so that is something to take a notice of. But the fact is, Dana White is pushing forward with this. What are your thoughts on the news? Well, first of all, I'm excited that we have a new date for UFC 249 or whatever iteration of UFC 249 we're going to end up getting. But um, I'm wondering if why all of a sudden Disney and ESPN are okay with this when they weren't, you know, <laughs> a few weeks ago. So is it literally just that the governor of California has more 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 sway over Disney and ESPN than the governor of Florida. I mean, is that what it what it comes down to? Because nothing's changed. That that one kind of blew my mind. But I'm excited. Let's see who actually ends up fighting. I believe we're actually going to see a card. Um, and of course, God bless Florida for for being the place to host. I will say this because I've thought about the governor thing, right? And in my mind, I'm thinking. California had, okay, besides Hollywood, which is a big part of it, I get that, but 
California only has a small Disneyland. You would think that Florida with the entire Disney world, it's like five campuses of theme parks rolled into one, would be more, you know, valuable to Disney, you know, for Florida. So yeah. in my mind, I feel like that's almost counterintuitive. It's like, shouldn't Florida, you know, like... Movies aren't coming back for a while, so wouldn't Florida be more impactful because they need Disney World and everything? You know, the movies are already done. Disney World loses money every day that it's closed. So that to me is one thing. Um, in terms of the news, uh, you know, my thing about it is I can only imagine that they are they're just trying to push forward as optimistically as they can and as short notice which i think is the real big uh the hook for me in terms of what are they trying to do right so for myself when i see this i'm like okay from april 18th you know from the time we got canceled it's only about three or four weeks you know four or five weeks sorry from the time that it got canceled and they're saying okay we're pulling the plug what are you trying to tell me that has changed? Because if anything, I feel like the news has said that it's gotten worse. So when I saw the May 9th date, the first thing I thought is like, this is really rolling the dice. This is really like, I'm just not sure that they're going to be able to do it on May 9th when they couldn't on April 18th. Yeah, I agree. And it's like, at this point, you know, I would assume I should say, that Dana White's not putting a date out there and making plans in Florida without checking with Disney and ESPN higher-ups, right? Because they're the ones that pulled the plug to begin with. So, yeah, what has changed? Why are they suddenly okay with this event happening only a few weeks later just in Florida versus California? It makes zero sense. If someone gets COVID-19 at, one of, at, at UFC 249 in Florida, it's still going to – you know, if, if that was ESPN and Disney's concern, it's still going to look just as bad for them as it would have if, if uh, someone had gotten COVID-19 in California on April 18th. It makes zero, zero sense. So what gives? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, and once again, you know, I'm ready to go back to work. I'm ready to, you know, have something besides, you know, waiting a week for the next episode of The Last Dance. Um, so... You know, optimistically, look, I would love it. I know the fighters need to get paid and all that, but every time, you know, not to be a Debbie Downer, but logistically, I just still don't see how they get the job done. And I did listen to uh, Chael talk to Ariel, if not last week, the week before, about how they did take steps, like all the fighters are going to have their own room with their own treadmill, and they're going to do virtual weigh-ins where the official just visits every room and... They broadcast it as opposed to, um, you know, all of these fighters collect and, you know, they just all step onto the scale in one single room. Uh, all of that, yes, I, I do understand it. But at the end of the day, fighters aren't going by themselves. They're coming at least two or three people deep for a corner man because that's what they're allowed and that's what they should be allowed to have. Remember, even if you just have like a coach, like, or, you know, you still need a cut man. I mean, you guys want them to still battle and go to war. So there's just more and more people every time you talk about what do you honestly need for this fight to go off without a hitch? Because most head coaches, I'm not gonna, I don't expect to know how to stitch people up if they get cut. So you do still need an official cut man there, other yeah. things like that. So that to me is a big part of it. 
I did see the report that um I forget which boxing promoter I I know Okamoto retweeted him, but essentially saying that all fighters are being told stay in shape so you only need about four to six week camp. And which is to say, look, if they open the doors May 1st, hypothetically, for example, then, it, you know, we want guys to be able to fight on a card safely like May 28th. But we're not expecting you guys to be in your house cutting weight, you know, and all of this other stuff. And just the second the doors fly open, you guys are all collecting for a fight card. So that to me is more what I thought would happen with UFC. I think, though, that Dana is just trying to get, literally, just as he said, get this thing running as soon as possible, which, you know, I know a lot of fighters, like, they're ready to work, but once again, for myself, I'm like, man, I, I just want people to be safe, because, you know, I I'll speak for myself right now. I don't trust a lot of, you know, going back to work right now. People talk about, we're going to open the doors. I still don't see people wearing masks, masks everywhere that they should. And you're still hearing about more people getting sick. I'm still hearing about people I know personally getting sick. I just don't see it. Yeah, it, it's, um, it, you know, yeah, if what the news is reporting, all these numbers and everything, it, it, you know, no reason to, well, no reason to, to, to doubt if you're looking at a reputable source. Um, but, but which begs the question for me, again, is like what has changed for Disney and ESPN to suddenly be okay with this? I don't know, man. I mean, uh, I'll leave it at this. It is still about three weeks, two weeks from this Saturday. Um, a lot can change by then. I know some places are reopening up, but if there's one thing that has been kind of made clear from a lot of reports is that a lot of places, when they open back up, it kind of led to this domino effect where people flared up again and got sick and they had to shut it back down. And I'm like, I don't know. I almost feel like I would rather see that a place is under control after reopening before I just say, okay, let's let's bring in all these people from outside the state into the state to fight. But um, yeah, you'd have to do like a, you can't just open the floodgates, right? It has to be like a measured, uh, you know, time released uh, opening of of the economy because no doubt if they just flip the switch back on everyone's going to come out in hordes. And then, yeah, then you're back at square one, probably. Yeah, and I'd, I'd also like to point out, there's still a lot of things in place. People talk, oh, we're opening back up. Uh, let's say, hypothetically, we're opening back up Monday. You still got to wait in line to get into Walmart, people. I know I'm not the only one seeing this happening. And it's like, <laughs> guys, I don't know how to tell you this, but that's still going to be a thing for a while. So For a long time. Yeah. Like, just in my mind... Later rather than sooner is what I thought the approach was. So I'm very interested to see what changes, like you said, from now compared to a couple weeks ago when April 18th was next. So that's my thing. Um, it is still a bomb card. I know, you know, they essentially added pretty much every main event that got canceled over the last month to it. So if it does eventually go down, I'm ready for it. Um, before we move on to a uh, fight flashback, Natalie, I really, I know he's been waiting. I know he's that type of guy. Man, I just want Tony Ferguson to wait for Habib. <laughs> I just can't with this, man. Like, I love the fight on paper, but 
if it's gonna be, you know, I want Habib to fight Tony on a run, and if Tony's gonna win, I want I want everybody to get the fight while they're on a win streak. Like if let's say Habib were to beat Tony, is the fight with Gaethje as nice if he's coming off the loss to Tony, or vice versa? It's just a whole thing, man, and that's that's what it is to me. I wish he'd wait. You know, for the sake of that fight that we've all now had to suffer through five, you know, um, cancellations, for the sake of the fight, yeah, you wish he'd wait, but I can understand Tony Ferguson just wanting to get out there, and like, the way, you know, his mind seems to work is, you know, he's probably really pumped up by being one of the few guys willing to fight during this time, and cutting the weight, now do you think he regrets cutting weight uh, for April 18th, or April 17th? No, he's have to cut it again, you know, for the ninth. I don't know, probably not, because it's Tony Ferguson. <laughs> but, um, you know, this is going to sound weird because I don't know the guy, but I just want him to be happy. And I think this makes him happy, having something to do. And he's, you know, 100% confident he'll beat Justin Gaethje, and so that could be fight is still going to be intact as far as the records go. But, uh, you know, we all know MMA is a, a tricky son of a gun, so we'll see. It's because you're a nice person, Natalie, that's why. <laughs> It's nothing. Uh, I also hope Tony Ferguson is happy. As a yes. matter of fact, I do. <laughs> I hope a lot of people are happy. Yes. A, I do wish that for a, quite a few people. I, I genuinely Being a mother do. has softened me, and I just hope everybody's happy. That's all I want. <laughs> That's a very mom answer right there. <laughs> no, it's, you know, people love moms. They're, they're a positive thing to have. Um, real quick, we have a fight flashback for you, um, but um, before we move on, PFL makes the decision they're rescheduling Season 3 until 2021. Uh, what do you think about them pulling the plug on that one in April? Oh, man. That sucks because it's such a unique idea that seems, um, you know, apart from this specific really you know, bizarre time in our lives, uh, as an MMA season a league that does an MMA season is really ingenious and clever and fun and different. And this is the, 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 the one instance that you could never see coming a pandemic, a global pandemic that would just completely destroy that, um, that, uh, that, that premise, I guess, I guess. Um, and so, so for PFL, I feel bad because, because they had something great. They were just starting to build momentum. They signed Roy McDonald, which was going to be a great, um, which was a great get for them and was going to bring in new eyeballs that they needed for the season. And now what? Uh, hopefully it is just rescheduled to 2021, but who knows? I don't know how they were doing ratings wise. I don't know what kind of deal they had with ESPN. If it's anything, you know, 1% close to what UFC has with ESPN as far as guaranteed money. And if it's guaranteed money in quotation marks, you know, based on how many events you put on per year, then what happens when there's a global pandemic and you can't run a season? I don't know. So I hope they're able to actually come back in 2021. But it really sucks for Roy McDonald, who's probably just chomping at the bit, and all the other fighters, Kayla Harrison, who are just starting to build their name, their brand in the sport. It's uh, It's tough. You bring up a good point, like, it's kind of like, you know, you know how your insurance, even if you live in the middle of, like, nowhere close to water, that's like, well, you have flood insurance anyway, you could buy it. Yeah. I do wonder, like, how many of these deals have, like, you know, like, if a meteorite takes out the studio, 
do you still get paid or something like that? It's like, yeah, really? The, uh, the, yeah, most favored nations are, no, no, force majeure, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, like how many of these things are in black and white in the paperwork, I wonder? That's a good yeah. point. Um, you know, when I thought about it, I was like, well, you know, man, even if they were to come back in July, could you pull it off? And I think the thing about PFL, as opposed to, you know, UFC and Bellator, the season aspect, you know, okay, the whole point is the champions win a million dollars at the end of the year. And either way, you still want a full season next year anyway. So you already have a roster. They were planning to do the international events, if you remember. Those are Mm -hmm. obviously in the can until further notice but okay you have your roster already and you're saying that you want to have close to the same amount of fights in an abbreviated amount of time and at the same time you're still saying that these guys and girls earn a million dollars for winning the tournament right that's the whole that's the hook that's why you go pfl in their format over possibly like a bellator somewhere else in free agency Okay, well, you know, let's say they abbreviate the season. Does PFL still pay you a million dollars if you win half as many fights in six months, for example, as opposed to, let's say they had eight or nine if they started in April? I don't know about that, you know. I think to me that's really a, that's a big question. If they don't believe they're going to be putting on events with enough time, I completely get them saying, you know, we just... We can't pull off a season. It wouldn't be fair, you know, just you win two fights, you win a million dollars, you know, you're champion of 2020, you know, I get it. So I do think that it's just the lesser of two evils, and I did see that they're doing the monthly stipend, but the lesser of two evils to say, look, guys, you get the chance to compete for a million, we're still going to pay you for this year, but logistically... You know, there's just too much for us to have to work to still pull off a 2020 season, come back next year and be ready. And look, I mean, we're in April. I mean, let me say that again. We're in April. You're talking about, you know, we may not see Kayla Harrison, Rory McDonald, and these guys until possibly May or June of next year. That's when they typically start, right? So that is, that's quite a hit for anybody. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's first, it is nice to know that they're getting some kind of you know, monthly stipend, uh, whatever that is, it's, it's helpful, I'm sure. And, um, it, it does make me wonder though, if things get opened back up and especially if UFC can pull off their fight on May 9th, what that does for other combat sports, if PFL will be willing to do some exhibition fights. I mean, before, they opened up the 155 division to the to the million dollar cash prize, right? Kayla Harrison was competing just just off of the season, uh, like roster. She yep. was just like a side, not sideshow, but you know, a side fight. So maybe just to keep their brand alive, they can pump out some fights that way once things open up in the second half of the year. Or does that is that too risky because you put your fighters that you want for the next season? Um, in jeopardy of, of suffering some kind of injury that may keep them out of 2021. So, you know, a lot to consider. But, um, again, glad that, that the fighters are getting a, a, a stipend and their roster is so much smaller than any of the other bigger promotions that that's probably why it's it's more feasible. No, I got you. And, yeah, that's a good point. You're asking a fighter, it's like, hey, look, you could get a fight in October, but, you know, like, then suddenly it's like, man, but... and. 
a million dollars, you know, do you want to do anything that risks that aside from fight the fights you have to? Good question. But yeah, I'm with you there. I agree with you on all those points. Natalie, I think we've talked about enough uh, what-ifs and negativity. <laughs> Is that fair? Have yes, we got it out of fair. our system? Yes, I I'm not going to lie. That took a turn. I didn't expect it to. But the next thing I know, I'm talking to facts and I'm like, oh, man. Maybe Dana White has a point. Maybe we are being negative in the media. <laughs> but, you know, um, hey, I mean, COVID's got us all tripping. I'll just say that. <laughs> it's tough times, man. Maybe my, okay. I, I'm not a mom. My patience, you know, my propensity for niceness is deteriorating as the days go by. <laughs> all right. So, guys, we have a fight flashback for you. If you're skipping through this, the last part, I understand. So let's talk about some fun stuff. Let's go back. If I'm not mistaken, the year is 2012, UFC 139. And this one, so I, I promise you guys we're going to go further back than 2016. So I gave us a couple years change. Um, this one was a very interesting card because it was one of the last pay-per-views to take place before the Fox era. So... Before things were going on FS1 and Fuel and Fox Sports 2, you know, we were still doing this thing, you know, prelims on Spike TV. Prelims were actually on Facebook back then, believe it or not. So all of this was happening. And that night, the main event, that November, Mauricio Shogun Hua took on the All-American Hendo, Dan Henderson. And this one goes down as one of the all-time classics. I think, here's the thing, Natalie. Had this one been for a world title, I do think it would probably be a lot higher on the list of best fights ever. Would you agree? Yeah, I would. And in fact, I was after I watched it, I was like, how is this fight not discussed more in this conversation of the greatest fights? Um, mostly you, you talk about you know, the, the later ones. And I guess it's just more, you know, fresher memories, but, but yeah, I think not having a title tied to it, even though it was a five round fight is, is, is to blame, I guess, for why it's not thrown in the ring uh, more often. You hear Robert or Robbie Lawler, Condit Lawler, McDonald, you got you know, some newer ones. And mm -hmm. this one is just, it was off my radar, man. So thanks for, uh, thanks for making me watch it. Cause it was a heck of a fight. I mean, let's talk about it. So if you guys remember, at the time, Dan Henderson, he had knocked out Michael Bisping, and then he goes on to strike force. He loses to Jake Shields, but then he goes on a run. He's knocking out everybody. He knocks out Fedor. Then when UFC buys strike force, suddenly Dan Henderson is back in the UFC. Shogun, he had just lost the title the year, you know, early in the year to John Jones. He came back, had that first round knockout of Forrest Griffin in Brazil. And now suddenly this fight is coming together. He's welcoming back Dan Henderson to the UFC. And everyone knew this fight was big. They knew that the pedigree of both men in terms of MMA and in the division. Um, if you remember, it was Dan Henderson essentially. Uh, he'd done the 185 thing, but now he was really more back at 205. Um, and this fight, Natalie, they schedule it and you think, oh, well, we got a banger. It's going to be a good one. 
No one expected the all-out 25-minute war of attrition. Take it away. Yeah, it was it was super savage. There's really no other way to to describe it. And uh, I was blown away by how much <laughs> how tough Shogun Hua was. And because uh, because there were many times in those first three rounds where you know that Dan Henderson right hand like it would have felled anybody else. It would have knocked out anybody else. But Hula kept coming back somehow, somehow, and he's getting knocked down, beat up, bloodied, and then round four, and he lands a vicious send you to the moon uppercut that Dan Henderson I don't think ever recovered from from in rounds four and five. So I I I, I saw Henderson winning rounds one, two, and three, Shogun winning four and five, uh, because the last two rounds were just. All, all Shogun, but damn, was that primal? Damn, was that savage? Like unreal, dude. They were just going back and forth, and like, you know, it wasn't. You know, these were these were already. We're talking 2011. These were already really skilled MMA fighters, ground game, striking. So, so it wasn't like a, a crazy rock'em sock'em brawl. There were some nice punches, sneaky punches getting thrown in there, vicious punches, elbows, and all that good stuff. But they were bleeding all over the place. They walked in there with white shorts. They walked out with pink shorts. Um, you know, that, that pretty much tells you the story of the fight. That is a very brilliant way to put it. I'm going to use that for a while. <laughs> it's like, that's how you know it was a good one. Um, no, I, I completely agree with you. I think that um, when you look at these old fights, I think the biggest thing you remember, and if you compare it to, say, Gastelum Adesanya last year, for example, the technical brilliance of today isn't really there but you know when you go back and you watch let's say Forrest Griffin Stephen Bonner my goodness they just went out there and just put a beating on each other and you know no one backed down and that's really a lot of what you got with Shogun and Dan Henderson I remember when I when this fight was announced I thought Shogun all day because I knew he had the jujitsu background I knew he had the physicality, he could hurt people with his strikes, he had the leg kicks. I just think he had all the moves and more finesse than Dan Henderson. And um, really, this was starting to be close to that point where Dan Henderson, he was kind of, you know, just... He was very basic, you know? Everything is about setting up the Mm H-bomb. That was his whole strategy. He had the Greco-Roman wrestling... Didn't seem to use it as as often as somebody, you know, as you thought he would, right? Just kept going back to it. And my goodness, that worked, right? It worked on Fedor. It worked on so many of these guys. And then when you have this fight, I think you just show, it goes to show you just how effective and just, it's one of the best weapons in the history of MMA. And really, I think that's what won him the first three rounds. Because Shogun comes at him. Henderson almost immediately hurts him with the right hand. Uh, rounds two and three, a lot of the same. Shogun is tough, but Dan Henderson, when he gets close, he's just doing visible damage to Shogun. Gets that big cut, if you guys remember, over the eye. And like Natalie said, the white shorts are suddenly turning pink by the end of this thing. That really was what got the job done. Uh, like you said, Shogun, late in that fourth round, he had the uppercut really, you know, and once again, testament to Dan Henderson's chin. Nobody really was ever able to finish this guy. And Dan Henderson, you know, eats that shot. And even though he's wobbled, doesn't go down. 
Shogun just kind of softens them up a little more. But, you know, Dan Henderson takes it well. I do remember in the moment, I didn't know who they were going to give it to. I knew it was close. I was leaning toward Henderson. But, man, I do remember in the moment also thinking Shogun probably stole it with that late surge. What did you think of the call? I think I was the right call, but but definitely there was a, a doubt in my mind because of, of that last round that could have been, I think even Rogan said it could have been a 10-8, but then Hendo rightly pointed out, he's like, I thought I had a 10-8 in there somewhere too. So I, I think it was fair. And I don't know if you recall at the time, was it a controversial decision or was it well accepted that Henderson won that fight? I think it was well accepted. I think that um, it was a good example of why they why it went down as a classic and why they booked a rematch later was because, you know, it was that good. And stylistically, you know, they just, you know, they were like that perfect marriage, right? They're going to provide a show every time. So I, I was, I remember that being an okay de- decision. I think when people watched it, it's like, it was a close fight, but Dan Henderson got the work in. So I had no problem. Natalie, you'll remember... That fight was supposed to earn Dan Henderson a title shot. Do you remember why that ended up not happening? Actually, I don't know. I see that I'm looking at Tapology and I see that it was it was canceled with John Jones, but I don't know what uh what happened. Might there have been some kind of uh incident on the John Jones side? No, believe it or not. <laughs> That's uh, that sounds so bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it was not uh, that uh, issue. I'm aware. I'm aware if you're uneducated, why you might jump to that conclusion, especially in today's day and age. But no. So what happened? They announced the fight. They have a poster and everything. It gets to about two weeks out, or it might have even been under, you know, just a little under a month. But Dan Henderson hurts his knee. He's not able to take the fight with John Jones. So they start looking around for another opponent. And really, if you remember, John Jones, he's coming off, of, you know, this is 20, coming off the 2011. He had beaten everybody. Machida, Rampage, uh, Shogun, um, just Ryan Bader. Just a ridiculous year. And at the time, you know, I want to say that uh, John was coming off the win over Rashad Evans. Dan Henderson is now top contender after they finally make the Rashad fight. And John Jones doesn't take a fight. You know, he's just, they offer him Chel Sonnen. Chel Sonnen accepts. Remember, Chel Sonnen was coming off the rematch with Anderson Silva. And John Jones refuses to take the fight. And that leads to John Jones versus Chel Sonnen, ultimate fighter, and so on and so forth. I think, is this, was this event canceled or something? I feel like I remember that there was some kind of... Correct. The entire fight card ended up getting scrapped when John Jones didn't take it. That's that's pretty crazy. (laughs) That's a big one. That doesn't happen anymore. It's true. I mean, fights get canceled. Dana White agrees to have him on an island, right? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) You know, cancel the fight card. Why would he do something like that? Well, I have a spaceship. We're going to Mars. <laughs> Why would we cancel this fight? Yeah. No, it's a... Um, yeah, I remember it just being the craziest turn of events because I think that John Jones, because he was so dominant, it was like, John, you probably whooped Chael Sonnen, who's now coming off the couch, mind you. What are you worried about? That uh, It was just a weird uh, 
turn of events, but you'll remember that happened after Chael. If I'm not mistaken, it was time for Alexander Gustafsson. Um, and just things just kept going on and on, you know, next thing you know, other fights are happening for John Jones, Daniel Cormier, obviously in there, um, Vitor Belfort. And so essentially at the end of it, what happened was that, um, Dan Henderson gets back in line. When he comes back, he fights, uh, Leota Machida and, you know, he loses that one. And really the light heavyweight division just kind of had a turnover Suddenly, it was another era of contenders, and Dan Henderson never did end up getting back to a title shot at light heavyweight. After a, a little bit and some great scheduling, he ends up getting a shot at Michael Bisping. But yeah, the fight with John Jones, Dan Henderson never did come together. It's crazy just looking at, at Dan Henderson's record after that Shogun win and the non-John Jones fight. Like, yeah, he 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 lost six fights, one three. And uh, that last one to Michael Bisping, I love Michael Bisping, man. I'm a huge fan, and I was happy that he got the win. But at the time, I wasn't sure if he deserved it. I have to go back and watch it. But, I mean, if you recall, Michael Bisping's face was messed up, and, and Henderson looked fine. And, and Bisping rightly called him tough as old boots because it was a heck of a battle. Um, and, 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 you know, it would have been cool in, in one respect. Not that I wanted Bisping to lose his belt, but it would have been cool for Henderson to retire as a champion. Yeah, I mean, it was just quite... Uh, look, that's a testament. I mean, Dan Henderson just around forever. I remember when um he retired after the, uh, the Michael Bisping rematch, and it was just like, dude, I mean, pick a Dan Henderson knockout, pick a Dan Henderson moment. He just really was that guy who always brought it in. I mean, man, he just... He was that guy. And how about this? Shogun Hua... So many fights, and he is still rolling along. Yeah. He still has those tiny little shorts. It's a- Just saying. <laughs> Just saying. He, he wears um, those little shorts. Of all the things to come of up with. Of all the things the to shorts. say. Respectfully, of course. I mean, yeah. The, he's, yes, he indeed does still have those tiny little shorts. I mean, everyone no, likes but, um, the fit they like. That's... Even under the Reebok deal, he has even, little shorts. Exactly. Even under the Reebok deal, he has the shorts, the mini shorts. Remember when they used to have all these crazy shorts with the venom and the bad boy eyes? Yeah, I was looking at, at his shirt after the fight. I was like, bad boy. I wonder, I mean, you know, they must have suffered so much when, when the UFC, and they still have obviously other promotions to, to work with, but when the UFC moved to Reebok, all these big companies must have really felt that pretty hard. But anyway, staying positive. <laughs> No, good point. Anyway, but yeah, so that was the history of the main event. What about the co-main event, Vanderlei Silva taking on Kung Lee? You talk to me about this one. Yeah, this was pretty cool. I hadn't seen Kung Lee fight. I know a lot of these these flashbacks that we're doing will further expose my, you know, my uh, lack of, um, I guess, experience uh, with the with the older UFC MMA stuff. So I'm happy to be able to go back and look at these things. Uh, so I hadn't seen him fight. He was. To me, you know, ahead of his time with just the the striking, the kicking, especially little spinning kicks, he had he had a nice little advantage there in the first round. But 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 Wanderlei Vanderlei figured him out, and and then he just got berserker on him, and that was it. That was all she wrote. So it was kind of cool to see the the, the classic Silva in action. 
I mean, I remember this one. Kung Lee was that guy, you know, even when Strike Force took off, suddenly he was uh, inactive. I, don't, I remember he was acting and he was doing some other stuff. I think he might have had an injury in there. But really, he was such a fun guy. He's just such a throwback fighter. I think he's about as close as you get to one of those original classic martial artists in the modern era of uh, mixed martial arts because, you know, his whole thing, everything was about going into those pretty spin kicks, right? Just yeah. everything was about setting up that attack. And uh, Vanderlei Silva just, you know, you talk about Savage. I mean, he's gone at it with Dan Henderson too, right? So this was such a fun fight. And really, this was the Vanderlei Silva people were excited for. Just get in your face and do damage. And man, that sequence at the end of the fight for Vanderlei, that one was just awesome. Um, after he gets knocked down with the spinning back fist, he comes back and he hits him with the right hand. And then it's just a barrage. Punches, their knees in there. Oh, the knees, uh, man. Woo. And then Kung Lee's nose is literally like two inches to the left Jeez. at the end of it. And, and by the way, Joe Rogan saying that was a bad stoppage. Tell Kung Lee's nose that's a bad stoppage, Joe Rogan. Dude, I was shocked. I was like, is he really? Times really have changed because now nobody would say that, not even Joe Rogan. But back then he was like, bad stoppage. I literally had to rewind it because I thought I misheard. I was like, no, he must have been saying that was not a bad stoppage, right? (laughs) Incredible. (laughs) No, but that was a good one. Um, Vanderlei would continue. He would eventually have some more fights. He'd make it to Bellator. He would eventually fight Chel Sonnen. And all this other good stuff. So the train kept rolling for Vanderlei. Kung Lee, if I'm not mistaken, he only had one more MMA fight um, against Rich Franklin. And you know what better way to go out? The main event in China knocks out a legend and calls it a career. So yeah, but that one, you know, this is a hidden classic. Because this is another, another good example of the savagery. Yeah, it absolutely was. In fact, the I mean, I watched the co-main first but yeah i started thinking of this this notion of that period being more savage when i saw this fight first and then you know hendo hua basically sealed the deal there yeah i mean this is once again this is the kind of action you used to get and not to say (laughs) we don't like our guys and girls with finesse now but man did they just used to beat each other up more often back in the day right yeah a little uh, rough around the edges makes for a lot of fun (laughs) <laughs> no but um we did have one more fight to highlight for you i always love going back to this one because this is vintage uriah faber he took on former wec champion brian bowles and really just a high level bantamweight fight talk to me about this one so look uh it was a yeah classic uriah faber it uh it went his way. I'll just I'll just spoil it up front. He he did a nice. Uh, I think it was a guillotine at the end of round two, somewhere in round two, and uh, used some punches to get Brian Bowles down. My big takeaway here from this, and sorry to not give a proper breakdown, was really just that Uriah Faber looks exactly the same. <laughs> 2011, 2020, or 2019, whenever he last fought, the man has not changed. He has not aged. He's like what I don't know what he's. I don't know what he's eating, man, but it's incredible. Even my husband was walking by as I was watching it, and he was like, that guy literally looks 100% the same. Unreal. What do you think? 
I completely agree with you. I will say this. I saw the TMZ interview with Uriah and he's sporting like a little goatee. And I'm just like, it's just so unusual. It's more <laughs> unusual than Uriah with short hair, man. I just, I'm still tripping out about it. But um, no, I mean, look, that's a testament to this guy. I mean, you, you want to talk about longevity. That is an athlete who takes care of himself. I mean, I swear, Uriah, you would think he's like LeBron James with lack of injuries, just clean eating, good shape his whole career. It's ridiculous. But um, yeah, this one, another one similar to the main event. Winner gets a title shot at Dominic Cruz. Brian had lost the WEC title to Cruz. And, you know, he'd done his thing in the UFC for a minute. Uh, Uriah, you'll remember, did have that epic fight with Dominic earlier in the year. And then this fight, you know, this was the one to set up the trilogy. And you know what? Just vintage Faber. Brian, bigger, taller, um, very technical guy. But what I remember is Uriah just punished him every time he got close. Brian threw one. Uriah threw three. Um, he kept looking for the opening for the uppercut. He finally got it in the second round. And then it was all systems go, just punished him on the ground before he sunk in that guillotine. Just vintage Faber. Yeah, I mean, it's a classic. And uh, he's, of all the, well, except for Shogun, uh, of all the guys on this card that we've covered, he's still, he's still around and looking great. Yeah, and if I'm, I'm trying to remember, because if I'm not mistaken, he did fight for the title but it was against um Barrow. yeah so Dominic Cruz gets hurt I want to say that they did the uh the ultimate fighter uh Uriah and Cruz and what ended up happening is Cruz hurts the knee Uriah ends up fighting him and Barrow, and so on and so forth the rest is history gets a couple more title fights has a couple more fights St- retirement unretire comes back Natalie, do you know whatever happened to Brian Bolts? No, I do not actually, and I, you know, I'm just gonna say it because it's not in me to to lie. I didn't know, I had not heard of Brian Bowles until you put him on this list of fights to watch. Uh, he's probably best known for the fact that he knocked out Miguel Torres back in WEC. If you don't know who he is, I tell everybody he's like the bantamweight Fedor Emelianenko. He went on oh, a geez. ridiculous run beating everybody up nice guy too i met him um but yeah and essentially he kind of hit his peak a little bit before the uh, he made it to ufc um just the you know younger guys the michael mcdonald's of the world you know kind of took over later in his career he was the one he was kind of marlon Moraes big break in wsof before they became the pfl um, but yeah, he was Brian Bolts was known for shocking the world, and ironically, you know, he gets one more UFC fight, and then he gets arrested on multiple weapons charges, and we never see him again. Oh my goodness, is he in jail? I'm actually not sure if they ever <laughs> let him out. Oh boy, I, I do remember though they found him and they arrested him on like a ton of stuff, and I was like, dang. Damn, bro. And, you know, you see this guy with that bowl cut and you had no idea. Brian Bowles with the bowl cut. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Now I have to look it up on Wikipedia. Cheapers. <laughs> I know, right? The more yeah. you know. Mm. 
But yeah, so that one. Natalie, how about some other trivia? So here's one that's always interesting. Um, I'm not going to ask you if you remember because I feel like now I'm being mean. Um, but, <laughs> you can ask. So I'll say you will remember that the event before this card was the UFC's first ever fight on Fox with uh, Junior Dos Santos and Cain Velasquez. You remember everybody criticized that broadcast because you had about 45 minutes of analyzing of the guys at the desk and the main event lasted less than a minute. That's right. And of course, Dana White is asked, it's like, Dana, in hindsight, do you wish that this Dan Henderson Shogun fight would have been the first fight on Fox? And it was just like, ah, these things happen, right? And he also did say that it might have been too intense for the very first night on Fox. What do you think about this? No, I think it would have been, well, oh, I'm trying to think. People are very sensitive. <laughs> um, Not maybe, everyone loves their violence on TV. Yeah, maybe it would have been too intense, but not. I mean, it was like it did at some point. It felt like you were just watching, like you were just like um, creeping on two dudes having a street fight in an alley. Like it didn't even feel like they were in an arena anymore because of how because of how primal it got. So maybe it would have been too much. But then on the flip side, you have you know where you leave people underwhelmed or feeling like they want more that's you know that's in some ways no better yeah i feel like you know what if you ask it he probably would say oh that would have been an awesome first fight on fox but Selavi. also yeah. how about this this is the first time that a non-title fight goes five rounds in ufc they instituted the rule they'd had one non-title fight scheduled but it didn't go all five rounds this is the first one to do it. How about that piece of history? Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I wonder, do you know why they, they, they started doing five rounds? Is it just to give audiences like more bang for their buck or to let it serve as like training for, for fighters to, to have the five round experience without, you know, before they actually get to fight for a belt? Like, was there a specific reason given? Do you recall? I think it was a little bit of both, to be honest. I think it was just, um, you know... It, it's hard sometimes to sell fights on 15 minutes when they're non-title fights. You'll remember they were actually they were slowly ramping up to the, the number of fight cards that they are today. They weren't near that number then yet, mind you, but, you know, hey, we're going to have a main event. People, you, we're asking people to part with their hard-earned money, especially for pay-per-views, which didn't all have championships yet. This is what they started doing, so... I think that it was, um, and then also, yeah, you know, how do you get somebody ready to fight for a title? Well, have, have they fought five, five rounds before? Yeah, I mean, it all makes sense. And yeah, actually, I wasn't thinking about the fact that it was a pay-per-view and not a championship fight. That has happened like twice, probably since then. Um, or once since, once since they started making them championship fights, it's happened a few times uh, where it's not right, like Connor Diaz and I, I guess Connor. Yeah, I guess yeah. I think that Connor Cerrone. Honestly, uh, I can't remember the last non-title pay-per-view before Connor Diaz too. Yeah. Like I like you know you asked me you know you put the gun to my head I would not be able to tell you which one it was like it was so long and it, it would have to be something like this right if it's this one I wouldn't even be surprised that's how long it's been it feels like so. Good stuff, but yeah, Natalie, those were some good times. You see they all were. those. You see all those people in the arena. 
all cheering and smushed together, not a care in the world, just enjoying life. <laughs> so free. Do you think, I mean, we don't have to get into it, but I do wonder, like, gosh, I hope we can be that, that normal again. But, you know, we'll see. But, yes, everyone was just all up in each other's business, sloshing beers around, just, you know, could never in a million years think that that would go away. Uh, but, hey, this is just a temporary pause, right? I'm still finding moments where I'll see like two strangers hug on TV for like a show or something. And I'll think, yeah, that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> yeah. When I see like commercials, I'm like, no, that's not correct. People can't be sitting that close to each other. So that's not real life. <laughs> you know, the thing that's been bothering me, hmm. the Facebook ads and people are, they're having people like outfitted like a blazer or nice shirts and the pants and they're wearing the mask like that's an essential part of the ensemble. Yeah, that's uh, that's seen, just sensationalism, I think. <laughs> I've seen this and I'm like, this needs to stop, man. Yeah. Or like the commercials, like I was watching some insurance commercial and, you know, like typical blah, 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 blah. And don't worry, we're social distancing. And they show like the two, like the, you know how they have the guy like, you know, the one that says men's restroom, it's just that guy, right? The head yeah. and the sticks. And it's separating them. And I'm like, oh, come on. Jeez. <laughs> How fast do these things go up? So, yeah. Good it's times. And we could times. just go in there and watch two people beat each other up and bleed on each other without a yeah. care in the world. Without a care in the world. Guys, how about some MMA television? Because what else do we... Well, unless your name is Natalie, what else do you have time for? <laughs> Um, Natalie, you picked out this movie for this week. Tell me what you had us watch. I had us watch Spencer Confidential, which is a straight-to-Netflix movie starring Mark Wahlberg and uh, directed by Peter Berg, who's a big MMA fan. I was actually very surprised. I didn't know anything about the movie. I watched the trailer, and it, it sucked me in. And it was a really charming, fun action action, good old-fashioned action movie. Mark Wahlberg plays a former Boston police uh, officer, who's put in jail for five years for beating up um, the captain of the police department because Mark Wahlberg was, uh, was and is in the story an honest, upstanding citizen. And he saw that this captain was, was uh, dirty, was a corrupt cop, and he had to put him in his place, but he paid the price. What made me recommend it for this, uh, for this episode is that in the first, I don't know, five, ten minutes, while Mark, Wahlberg, Mark Wahlberg's character Spencer is still in jail, he gets beat up by none other than Donald Cerrone. And uh, it was pretty cool because Cerrone just stands there in the, in the prison library and starts kicking him in the side. And Mark Wahlberg says, oh, man, you're throwing kicks? Like, who throws kicks? Which is true. <laughs> you never see that. And they're beautiful kicks, beautiful Cerrone kicks. Uh, then later on, you find out that Mark Wahlberg's character is friends with someone who runs an MMA gym. So you have another scene where Joe Schilling makes a cameo and he gets, uh, he gets a little bit beat up by one of the other characters in the movie. So after that, you don't get any, at least I don't think you get any more MMA cameos, but, uh, but it was a super fun movie, great storyline. And, uh, you know, I'll say this spoiler alert, but there is a, a setup for a sequel and I'm kind of hoping we get to see uh, part two. What'd you think? 
I will say this, and I've noticed this is a trend that I want us to buck, is that, you know, we'll have a non-MMA-centric, like, we'll think it's an MMA-centric episode, and the MMA part is in, like, the first 10 minutes of a long production. Yes, it's true. <laughs> and, you know, we had that Avalon order. I mean, look, um, I, I remember Mark, I saw the interview with Mark Wahlberg talking to Jimmy Kimmel about it. And talking about, oh, yeah, well, I had a fight scene with a UFC fighter. And you could tell he was proud of this. And who wouldn't be, really? Um, but, yeah, a Cowboy, um, he was very believable as a prison inmate. <laughs> I he know. was. <laughs> I mean, Good actor. He looked like, you know, he'd been toughened up in the life, you know, so to speak. And Bearded Cowboy really does, you know, I think he's got a future in acting. But yeah, uh, beautiful fight scenes. You could tell that Mark Wahlberg did a lot of his own stuff in there. Um, very beautifully shot. Uh, the MMA gym. You know, anytime it's like, oh, who? I've yet to see one of these people do an MMA gym scene and there's not a cameo. I feel like whether it's a movie or a TV show, they always, always have like a real life MMA person running it. That's just like the thing, right? So... I was impressed by it. Um, Winston Duke, uh, he's, um, you know, kind of like the wingman for Mark Wahlberg's Spencer. He did a good job. And I will say this. He's kind of like, um, what's his name? Daniel Kaluuya, the guy from uh, Get Out. I mean, uh-huh. it's like, uh, and, you know, ironically, Duke has the opposite thing. Like, with Kaluuya, you see him do Get Out. And it's just so weird to see him in, like, Black Panther. Winston Duke, he does Black Panther, and now it's weird to see him in other stuff. Oh, yeah, that was the guy from Black Panther. Yeah, him, Baku, <laughs> almost, yeah. Killed, almost kills Chadwick Boseman. Yeah. yeah um, so I, I will say that. it's like, And I know it's acting. I know it's a movie. I know they're not actually from the secret country in Africa. But still, it's just um, to play such a different character after that's his introduction, right? That one kind of gets me, but he did a good job. He's very charming on camera. Yeah, man, it was it was a fun movie, right? Did you enjoy it? I was like pleasantly surprised by how awesome it was. It was well paced. Yeah, well paced. <laughs> I, I was okay. Tough. I was okay with the fact that we didn't get as much MMA as I thought we would when you recommended it. But it's like okay, I'll let it. I think I'll when let I it recommended slide. it, I was like halfway through watching <laughs> it, and so at the time I was like, oh man, this is going to be amazing. We might get more MMA. <laughs> I get more of a mate, but you know there was some funny characters. The the yeah. love interest, she was very funny. Eliza, and, uh, kind of like a, yeah, a gang of like machete wielding gangsters. I guess <laughs> it had a lot. It had a lot of good stuff. I know it was so random, but it was good. I liked it. Yeah. Well, yeah, guys. I mean, watch it if you want to see uh, Donald Cowboy Cerrone beat up on Mark Wahlberg with help from Post Malone. I That's right. I, I will say this. I, I'm sorry, but Post Malone looks made for prison, man. He looks like he just came out of prison and then got a record contract. I mean, the guy's, yeah, perfect. I was like, I'm sorry, but you look like you could be in prison post. Yeah, there was like no makeup for him for this movie. <laughs> it was, um, don't get me wrong, good good acting. But I saw that and I was like, it's just so believable. <laughs> like if he ever gets arrested, there people are going to be like, oh, did he already do a couple years of time? Yeah. Well, <laughs> Did he was he like forced to get face tattoos in prison? Like what happened? <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, yeah, guys. Next week, you know the drill. We'll have a little more flashbacks. We'll have a little more MMA TV. 
I'm going to make a prediction, Natalie. We're not going to have MMA news next week. What? I think that after all that's happened, unless uh, something happens to May 9th, it's just going to be business as usual. We're still waiting. Gotcha. Okay, so you mean like nothing juicy is going to pop up? Exactly. I'm talking to real news, not, you know, Amanda Nunes adopts a, adopts a puppy news. Right. Brian know? Ortega dances with the broom to celebrate Selena's birthday. Exactly. Got it. <laughs> exactly. None of that. Okay. All right. Well, guys, thank you for listening. You can find me all the time at Double G on TV. Natalie, where can they find you? I am uh, creeping on Twitter at uh, Natalie Zamudio underscore and on Instagram at Zamudio Rama. And guys, we'll be back next week.